We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. All right, can we get in the word? So it's good to be back here. We are dealing with the Imitate series. Today will be part what now? 16? Okay. Now we started the series. I'll do a very quick, very, very quick recap. So today's part 16. We started and talked about how the word imitate is from the word mimites, which means to emulate the positive imitation that arises by admiring the pattern set by someone worthy of emulation. That is a mentor setting a proper example, right? Maybe Tess, M-I-M-E-T-E-S. And then we looked at how it was used seven times in the New Testament referring to followers of Christ who are emulating a God-approved or a God-endorsed example, right? And because the supreme model is God himself. So when Paul says, follow me, he's essentially saying, follow Christ in me. Yeah, and then in other, in other texts of the scripture, he then clarifies it when he says, follow me as I follow Christ or be ye imitators of me. So at no point is Paul, or conversely, the actual fact, what he is, is Paul is telling you that I am following Christ, saying, measure that you can follow me and follow him. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he's not saying follow me as in hero worship. Follow me and you don't need to see Christ. He's convinced that to the measure that my heart is set on Christ is the measure that if you follow me, your heart will be set on Christ. And like I showed you in part 13, um, a couple of weeks ago, he says, I'm sending Timothy to you so Timothy will show you my way. Do you remember that? So again, he was convinced that he had injected himself in enough measure in Timothy that if you follow Timothy, you'll see Paul. Because if you follow Paul, you'll see Jesus. And for me, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. That's the first thing he tells them anyway when he sees them on on the shores of of the Galilean river fishing. He says, follow me. That's the very first thing. He didn't say change. He didn't say get better. He didn't say quit your job. He didn't promise anything. He said, follow me. I will make you. So the making of a man is in who he follows. Did you hear what I said? The making of a man is in who he follows. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So after a while, they said to him, we have left all to follow you. Because he never tells them to leave all. He says, follow. And then they realize that following necessitates the leaving of all. Jesus didn't say leave all. He said, follow me. And then you sit down and calculate. Following this man means I have to leave this thing. So the things you give up to follow are a byproduct of your understanding of your level of following. You will know that if I'm going to follow this much, I cannot do this one. Your leader doesn't have to tell you to drop this. You will know. You receive light. Are you seeing the example? So Jesus didn't say leave all. He didn't say leave your wives, which they left. Okay. They left wives to follow Jesus. They left children to follow Jesus, not to produce other children. They left wives not because they were tired of the wives, but to follow Jesus. They left houses, businesses, lands. Jesus mentions these things clearly to follow Jesus. But he never said to them, you must quit your marriage and follow me. So those of us that are waiting for a clear cut, mene mene, he says, follow me. 
and I will make you. So whatever this man intends to make us, we have to leave this in order to get there. Amen? That's the example. So the making of a man is in who he follows. So he's our ultimate model. We saw 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2, imitate me as I imitate Christ. TPT, I want you to pattern your lives after me. You see the context. 1031. Whether you eat or drink, live your life in a way that glorifies and honors God. Next verse. Make sure you're not offending Jews or Greeks and any part of God's assembly over your personal preference. Keep going. Follow my example in your eating. So look at how I'm eating and drinking and living my life in a way that honors God, right? Verse 32. Make sure you're not offending Jews or Greeks or any part of God's assembly over your personal preferences. Next verse. Follow my example. Can you see that? For I try to please everyone in all things rather than putting my liberty first. So you're going to minister in a church and they know that in that church they don't wear trousers. But because you have received light, you now get offended that you, don't, you have to not wear trousers for that program. You need to grow in imitation. That's why Paul will say, I am trying to get to Jerusalem in time to keep the feast. But he was taken at it because he knew there's a, a crop of Jews that will never ever be reached until they come from all over the world back to Jerusalem for that feast. The gospel would jam them there. That was his calculation. So he wasn't going to, the, to Jerusalem to keep the feast as it were, but to just be where the feast will gather people to receive light. So he says, I am all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. Then he goes on to say to the Jew, I am a Jew. To the Gentile, as a Gentile. He says, and this is very provocative. He says, to those under the law, I am as under the law. So, okay, it's Moses you believe. I will use Moses to preach to you. It's Roman customs, you understand. I will use Roman customs to preach to you. So that's why I explained to you a few weeks ago that a lot of his analogies were based on Roman customs. The, 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 the whole analogy of a soldier is from, from the Greek culture. They, they put up something in Ephesus and said to the unknown God. He came and he claimed the God. He said, that unknown God is the one I'm talking to you about. But we all know that he, that altar was to an idol. We know. So he's that one. <laughs> and they were like, ah, we knew we didn't know. That's why we put an altar because we knew there was a God we didn't know in addition to all the gods. We knew. So he sees the advantage. He was a Capidium apostle. <laughs> he sees every moment. So he says, follow me. 10.33. For I try to please everyone in all things rather than put my liberty first. I sincerely attempt to do anything I can so that others may be saved. Next verse. Pattern me. That's what I've taught you in this house. Don't let chapter and verse restrict the flow of thought in scripture. I've said it over and over. It's one of the worst things that happened to the scriptures. How be it with the best of intentions. What is one of the most malicious things that could have happened to the scriptures is to, for one person to sit down because his father owns a printing press and determine, let's make it easier to read the Bible. Let's break it up into chapters and verses. And the writers did not write it like this. Because it was one thought. It was a letter. There's a flow. So most times you're reading, and when you get to the end, that's why it's dangerous to say, I want to read one chapter a day. You'll be lost. You'll be... Because where you, where, sometimes where the chapter is ending is where the thought is starting. But you just, oh yes, I have read, I have read one chapter. And that is where the thought is just about to kick off. 
Like Romans 5 going to Romans 6. Then I'm going to stop it. <laughs> you have hung yourself. Literally. You have hung yourself. Like Hebrews 5 going into Hebrews 7. Hebrews 6 pauses for a bit and he, he expresses his frustration. I want to talk about Melchizedek and now, oh, look at you now. Slow, slow. You are dull. Now, I want to tell you things about this Melchizedek and you can't handle it because by now you ought to be teachers. And now you're still having somebody teach you the milk of God's word. But strong meat belongs to those who by reason of use have learned how to discern between good and not go back to fundamental doctrines and not lean again. Repentance from dead works and, and faith towards God and baptisms and eternal judgment. Okay, but this was not have to do again with the lotteries. And this Melchizedek. But then some fire had gone out. Because if they could handle it. So when I see people arguing here over Melchizedek, my heart breaks. When it's clear in Hebrews 7, it says this man, having no beginning, no end of days, no father, no mother, no genealogy. You are still arguing who he is. King of Salem, which is to say peace. King of righteousness. And you are still arguing who it is. Jesus will come and be called high priest after the order of someone and you are arguing who it is. So if he's a man, Jesus is a high priest after the order of a man. But Hebrews says in chapter 7 clearly, having the likeness of the son of God. Verse 3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, no history. Having neither beginning of days, nor end of life. See the next line. But made like. You are still arguing who it is. So you, see, you see what I tell you in of time? I don't get involved in some things. It's a waste of time. So there's, there's a constant flow of thought. The entire narrative of Hebrews right up to the end of chapter 10 is one thought showing you that this boy, this carpenter, is the son of God. And as son of God, he came after a different priesthood. And because he came of a different priesthood, the law had to change. Because you cannot change the priesthood and not change the law following that. And because the priesthood changed, see what this eternal priesthood did for us once eternally. That's the argument. So that's what gets into chapter 10 and says, now if you now re refuse what we have explained to you, there's no more salvation for you. We'll deal with Hebrews someday. Just one thought. After we have told you this clearly, you still want to hang on to the law and hang on to Moses and hang on. You are lost. How can you escape? If you neglect the salvation, then what else, what else do you want? Because there's no more remission of sins after you one. So if you refuse it, then there's nothing we can do for you. And that's the only time a person falls from grace. Galatians 5.4 You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. So it's not when you sin that you fall from grace. It's when you resort to the law. It's when you introduce self-righteousness that you frustrate the work of grace in your life. Not your mess. There's more grace than your mess. And you see that? So when you're reading scripture, don't let chapter and verse stop you. Find the thought. Stay with the thought. Follow through. So it's against the backdrop of 1 Corinthians 10 in that in 11 he says, imitate me as I. It's not, so it's not ambiguous. Are you following me now? It's not arbitrary. It's not just some random thing. He has listed a few things that he's doing. And he says, follow me. In other words, look at what I'm doing and do the same. And discipleship couldn't be more easy. It couldn't be more easy. I've told you over and over some things are taught, but more things are caught. And that's why you must be careful to not get familiar with access. You must, you must learn not to ever, ever get familiar with access. It's one of the worst things that can happen to you on discipleship journey. And we've, we're finishing our camp meeting.
That was all he said. At least Jesus tried. He said, I will make you. <laughs> this man offered nothing. Just two words on stage. Follow me. It was Sunday evening. The last night of the one week camp meeting. I said, yes, sir. I didn't know what I would say yes, sir, to. Got home that night. I got a text. Port Harcourt, Monday to Thursday, Ibadan. Thursday to Sunday, 6 a.m. departure, my house. Yes, sir. The man did not ask me, I, I know hey, you are in school. How are you going to do it with university? You are a pastor in worship, pastor in church. You are also teaching in my own college. I was a lecturer. Do you understand? I was happy to be lecturer. I was happy to be producer. Music director in church. University of just students by day. Already. And the man says, follow me. And he never asked me, so how are you coping? I just once or twice he asked me, so what's happening with school? I said, oh, we have an exam in two days. He's, and he says, cancel. And that's it. I didn't understand. I would say, yes, sir. So I never tried to walk my way around school. A few times he asked me, so well, you have an exam coming up in two days. I said, it's two days. He said, you just look at me. He said, cancel. And not cancel because of his name, but because of his name. And pass. And they'll cancel it. And when they reschedule it for, I'm available to write it and pass it. I was a mystery because somebody just said, follow. So following morning, I packed my bag and I'm in front of the house at 5.30. He comes out and he says, we're going to Port Harcourt. I say, yes, sir. We entered the vehicle and that's how I started traveling with him. So you are traveling with somebody and you don't even know what you are traveling to do. Then he's in the car, he's telling you, C is one, D is two, E, you answer, three, F, yeah, and if it's a D, flat, as a C sharp, say yes, in the, on the, in the road, no rehearsal. And then, so once I give you the key, that's C, once you're on the key, this is Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, La, Ti, Do, Ti, To, Yes, sir. Your heart is racing. But then you realize you, it's not your faith that matters here. It's the faith of the person that has called you to follow him. And then if, if somebody is embarrassed, it's not you. Nobody knows you are a rat. It is the person that they will say this person messed up. So if the person that called me to follow him is not afraid of his name being messed up and said, I should follow him, there's something he has seen that I have not seen. So I follow. Imitation is easy. Whatever the man has seen, he will bring out when he needs it. And you're wondering, what are we going to play? And then just before we go up, you will write a note. I'll tell you, one, four, five, four. 1454 90 BPM. You start trying to find BPM in your head. Beats per minute. What's 90 like? There's no phones now that has app. <laughs> then you try to remember when you played PSR and how the PSR was fast or slow. You picture in 90 in your head. One, four, five. Okay, it go big. And it's when you go on stage and start playing the one four that you will hear what the spirit is singing through him. Follow. And he never tells you we're going to do this song. So you have to go and learn all there is. So you start to realize the cost of following. Like I said about the disciples of Jesus. Leave all to follow. Just like when you are following Jesus, you are now wanting to call fire like Elijah. 
you are following Jesus. You are telling Jesus, Master, we know how to call down fire like Elijah. Who are you following? Is Elijah the one that told you to follow me? It's Jesus. So you drop all you think you know and follow. So it turns out in discipleship, the enemy of discipleship is your previous knowledge. Yes, sir. Your previous knowledge is the actual enemy of discipleship. What you think you know and how you know what you think you know has worked for you. Are you here? Imitate is crucial. It's crucial. So that's the whole idea that drives it. It's, it's sim similar to the gospel. The problem is in how simple it is. So following is actually easy. Just follow. And that's how we started and said to follow. And every time you try to play your own, you'll get shut down. And it was a very painful process. Because you know that you know. I used to be a jazz pianist though. Jesus. No, we have played in this life. We have played piano. Do you understand? And then you have rehearsed. We, we did music as life. We're in church 20 hours a day. Practicing. We tape, we rewind forward. You want the tape is dying. You now buy another chrome tape and dub this tape into this one because by the time this one dies, you still have this one. And we'll score and 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 travel with the man. You will not play one. If you try it, ah, one day, we did hold somebody. Tell him that you love. Put your hands together and praise the Lord. Put your hands together and praise the Lord. The man now went, we cast down every strong. All of us shock. Our ah, Baba is messing with us. This is a setup. It's a lie. It's not happening. It's not happening. Then he's there showing us, I know what you know, but I determine how we will use it. He waited till we conformed. And we're ready. We didn't need to rehearse it. This is what we have spent all our life eating. And you killed it and said, I don't want it. But when we became him, he made you understand that I can use what you have. I'm not intimidated by what you have, but I'm in control of it. That's followership. That's followership. So that's how that song now became the de facto medley. Into, we just know now, once this one finishes, we're just waiting. It's like, you know, it's like revving a car in Formula One racing. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Because you know that, aha, the man will come to our side. And over and over, he started to do that and inject stuff. And then we started to be able to do a few things that he would look and smile. I will follow him for the rest of my... Follow, follow. Mm, okay, I like it. I like it. But we had to die to self in order to come alive. That's discipleship. And the man showed you, I'm not intimidated by what you know. I don't need it. So we get there and then we finish, we finish setting up. Finish the event and everything's powerful. Then it was called Triton. It was the M1 first of all. The black, the cog was black then. Heavy. Carry it on, the, on one shoulder. Carry the cog Triton Extreme on the other shoulder. But the only one that had touch, touch screen keyboard. Big boys. Dress up. Dress up. It's your waistcoat that Taylor sold in your backyard. Then we close. So we're waiting. Sit down. Then we say, okay, can we fold cables? And I'll carry cable. 
Then you see somebody who's wearing Italian suits, flown in from the U.S., dry cleaned in Abuja, carry cable from crusade ground, and be rolling it on his sleeve, and be talking to people. Now you, you are there with your two years of material. You will literally hear the voice of God tell you, can you not see how stupid you are? Are you getting the picture? You mean my child, you cannot see. You cannot see, Abi. My son, we're done. Nobody will tell you. You have sense. If I didn't go through that, I will not be here. You will not be here. But that is what discipleship does. You follow, you die, you live. Simple. You follow, you die, you live. It's not rocket science. Is anybody getting stuff already? First Corinthians 4.14. He's telling the Corinthians, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. 15. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, it's possible. Yet, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Let's see it in the TPT, verse 15. For although you could have countless babysitters in Christ, telling you what you're doing wrong, you don't have many fathers who correct you in love. But I'm a true father to you. For I became your father when I gave you the gospel and brought you into union with Jesus. It's clear. 16. So I encourage you, my children, to follow the example that I L-I-V-E before you. Just do what you see. Next verse. That's why I've sent my dear son, Timothy. I love Timothy, man. Whom I love. He's faithful to the Lord Yahweh. And will remind you of how I, Paul, conduct myself as one who lives in union with Jesus, the anointed one. And of the teachings that I bring to every church, everywhere. First Thessalonians 1, 6-9. Just a reminder. First Thessalonians 1, from verse 6-9. Received the word with joy of the Holy Spirit. He became followers, right? Even though it resulted in tremendous trials and persecution. 7. <clears throat> Now you have become an example for all the believers to follow throughout the provinces of Greece. The message of the Lord has sounded out from you, not only in Greece, but its echo has been heard in every place where people are hearing about your strong faith. We don't need to brag on you, for everyone tells the story of the kind of welcome you showed us when we first came to you. And everyone knows how wonderfully you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. Well, how did that start? You followed us. Verse 6, you see that? You followed us. You followed our example and became. Philippians 3, 17 to 20. Philippians 3, 17 to 20. My beloved friends, imitate my walk with God and follow all those who walk according to the way of life we modeled. Imitate my walk and follow all those who are modeling this. Does that make sense? So clear-cut New Testament principle, right? So we imitate. We're now there to look into the privilege, the authority of Jesus and the apostles. And that was, that was huge. All authority of God is vested in the Son. And it's by that authority that he created all things. Jesus does not use his authority outside the will of the Father. He did not use his authority for personal benefit. It's by that authority he sustains all things. And we share his authority so we act the way that he does. Right? And then we went on and looked at um, the authority that sonship bestows on us. And then we considered in that flow 
the privilege of angelic ministration. Right? And then that took us into a study or a by-study, which was a full study on angels and the ministry of angels and how they serve with us. Then we came on and then looked at the submission of Jesus and the apostles, which is another huge one, right? To submit means to acknowledge you'd have done things differently, yet allow yourself to do what is required of you when it is required, as it is required, without discoloring it with your imperfect submission, right? And we talked about how there is perfect or progressive submission and perfect submission, right? So progressive submission is you have a, uh, you have a way you would rather do it. But you know that, okay, well, I'm following this person, so let me do what he wants. Perfect submission is you get to the point where you're not even thinking about how you would rather do it. You just follow. You just follow. I mean, we got to a point in following, from what he was saying, we know what song he wants to sing, what he was saying, from what scripture he's speaking, from his thought process. We just go to the key. And the first few times I got it wrong, but I didn't stop trying. And he would look at me and he would smile. And then he would give me a different key and I'll go to D and wait. And I'm like, okay. So I, I was paying more attention to drink of his spirit and not be needing to be told what song we're about to do. Because we never knew. But by his speaking, by the first words that he starts to say, you know. You know, he's about to sing, don't give up. It's not over. You know, he's about to sing, there's a God in heaven who lives in the rules over the affairs of men. You know, he's about to sing, master of the universe. You just, you just know. By waiting. Staying, following, paying attention. And like I said, the man never called you. And so, so when, I'm a, when I'm talking like this, then you will know that I'm about to sing like this. Or I'm about to preach like this. Not once. But he expected that. So he didn't think he could sing any of his songs and you don't know it. And he never needed to ask you, have you scored this my song? Not once. Not once. But it's expected of you to, to know the cost. And you sit down and you hang that Walkman on your waist. Walkman. Complete cassette Walkman. Yeah? You know, the big one. <laughs> Put tape inside. And then CD Walkman came out. That was bigger. You still hang it. And you're carrying a bag, a rucksack of tapes from 1976. Jesus is a winner. The first album. Hold somebody. Bring down the glory one. Moonlight Christmas. And you're scoring and learning on the move. Because they want to ask you, have you learned my songs? Whose song do you want to learn? The making of a man is dependent on who he follows. So if, if you're following somebody, what are you eating? That's all you should be eating. That's all you should be eating. Praise God for every teacher of the word. But if God planted you in a place, that's where you should be fed. So you should take what is coming as it is coming and then you should binge on it. Binge on it. Play it over and over and over and over and over and over determined to know nothing else. It's not a free-for-all. It's deliberate followership. Deliberate. You must sound like somebody. I wrote on Facebook a while ago, even the people that insist that they are not part of denomination, they are not part of church, they don't have a pastor, they read somebody's article. 
that informed that position. So you are following somebody. And so you will be blinded by somebody who is telling you, I'm not following anybody. And then you become a free spirit. Meanwhile, they are not as free spirits as they say they are. They will quote something and put somebody's name behind. And go and check. They have all that person's books. They have the person's books. They have the person's articles that the person wrote in 1941. And they will tell you, I'm not on anybody. I'm not on a pastor. I'm not in the church. I'm free. You are lying. And deceiving young people. You are a product of somebody else's labor. You didn't come into it yourself. You just will not admit. Because you don't think it matters. So you tell people, be free. Just walk around. And then those people become free walking around. And you didn't tell them what you did. And who you followed. To come into the knowledge you have come into. You know who when you want to form an impression on worship. You know who to go and read. When you want to form an impression on giving, you know who to go and read. But you say, no, there's no need for anybody. Nobody's a product of his own knowledge. Nobody. So contrary to what these guys make it look like, it's not free for all, sir. Yes, sir. The, we are called, we're not, listen, we're not called to preach the gospel. Though. I've told you here before. The same people that run around and call it the Great Commission do not know what the Great Commission is. Because Matthew 28 does not say go into the world and preach the gospel. It says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. How do you make disciples? By the preaching and teaching of the gospel. Does that make sense? What is the end? Discipleship. What is the means? The gospel. Because matites means to follow somebody and become them. Now, if you're saved to become a son of God, then that's the ultimate. The ultimate is not hearing about God. The ultimate is becoming Christ. By hearing about God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not called to go and inform people about Jesus. You're called to go and make them Jesus. That Christ is formed in them by the instrumentality of the word of his grace. The entire call is a call to discipleship and followership. So we dealt with submission. We dealt with the flip side of submission being obstinacy. Remember? Resistance against a thing, notion or instruction simply because it didn't come from you or because you have no, you have your preconceived way of doing things and you will not be changed to be dealt with all of that and then we came to emotions and that's where we sort of are now we dealt with emotions fantastic we now said dealing with emotions and that's been a lot as well right it was shocking for some people to know that um, it's difficult if not nearly impossible to define emotions because of how wide a range it is and how emotions are actually more biological than anything else. All right? And how is a function of what information that you are exposed to? Your emotional reaction your, your, yeah, is a function of the information that you receive. And then it was in that context that we dealt with spiritual maturity being a function of mind control. And that was shocking for a lot of people. You know, even pastors, world over, have not recovered from that statement. That whole thing about spiritual maturity being mental, being a mind thing. Spiritual maturity is not spiritual. Spiritual growth is not spiritual. And it has troubled a lot of people. But then the evidence is right, <laughs> evidence is right before you. It's your mind that matures. It's your mind that is renewed. It's your mind that grows. The spirit of God is perfect. You don't have any spirit of your own. 
Is the Spirit of God put in you? Helps you to cry the mind of the Father. If the Spirit of God is in you, then the Spirit of God is perfect. And the Spirit of God does not need revival. The Spirit of God does not get better, does not, need, does not improve. Does not degrade in value, therefore cannot increase in value. It's constant. It's the Spirit of God. To imply that your spirit improves is to imply that God improves. So to, to grow in maturity spiritually is to grow in mind renewal. Your actions will change. Guard your heart with all diligence. Out of it stems the issues of life. Spiritual maturity is mind renewal. is mind control. is in the mind you grow. And I've explained that is why you can have a born again believer who is struggling with a mess. The mess is embedded in his unregenerate mind. Not in his perfect spirit. Do you understand? What you're struggling with is where? In your unregenerate mind. Not in your perfect spirit. The church doesn't understand this concept. So we put down your salvation as lost because your mind influenced you to do something wrong. Does that make sense? So do you know you are lost. You're not lost. You're just being stupid momentarily. Do you understand? <laughs> Temporarily. Until you grow. The mind is needing to be renewed. That's where we have been. And therefore you must renew your mind. To get another new mind. Right? And then we began to look at the, 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 the growing as it were of Jesus. Right? Luke 2.52. The growing of Jesus. Luke 2 and 52. Are you there? And Jesus increased in stature, in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. Jesus, and it doesn't mean physical stature, like you have, like Jesus developed six packs. You know, Jesus became buff. That's not what it means. In Helikia means full age maturity or development. So when he grew in stature, it means he evolved in his development. And the word for grew is the word oxano, which means to evolve, to develop. Jesus grew to full term. Jesus grew to the fullness of who he needed to be as son of man. I explained that already. Jesus did not arrive fully loaded. I'm trying to not be deviated. You see in Luke, he says in chapter 4, he returned in the fullness of the spirit. Luke 4. Let's go from verse 1. Then Jesus, being with the Holy Spirit, Returned from the Jordan. What happened at the Jordan? Baptized by John. And the Spirit came upon him. So Jesus was there for a while. Without a certain measure. Jesus. Jesus. The Son of Man. You know, Jesus was given as Son of God. But he had to grow into that. Jesus was not born of Mary instantly son of God the name was given Onoma the identity was made complete after the cross so he always referred to himself I mean why would he say in Philippians 2 that whereby God highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name why will Hebrews say today thou art my son I have become your father to Jesus so Telling Jesus, God is telling Jesus, today you have become my son. So he keeps saying, son of man. Son of man. Son of man. Son of man. Son of God. He grew. He grew 
become the perfect sacrifice. He grew. He oxanoed in stature until he came to full term. What was full term? His appearance. What was full term? His manifestation. Where? Full term. So by the time he was in the chief priest's palace and was found blameless, he had grown. Because I've told you in this house, he died for your sin. Do you understand? In order to fulfill the law, he lived in the law blameless. Accumulated blamelessness in fulfilling of the law. Then died to cancel the legal code against you. And then impute the life of righteousness he lived to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is his righteous life that gives you righteousness. Do you understand what I'm saying? His death gave you forgiveness of sin. His resurrection gave you justification. Does that make sense? Because when he rose, he applied the price he had paid for your forgiveness. Does that make sense? So he is your life because of what? Righteousness. Right living. Not right dying. <laughs> right standing. Not right sleeping. So it's his life that accrues and imputes righteousness. Does that make sense? So he lived in the law. Gave the law all that the law demanded of a man. That's what it means to have fulfilled the law. To have done everything the law requires. Such that everybody that is born again has fulfilled the law. Just as everybody who was born of Adam broke the law. Everyone who is born of the last Adam arrives having fulfilled the law. That's why it's not your life that can make you righteous. It is the life you arrive with as a born again child of God. Does that make sense? So now you are not striving to become righteous by your life. You are just spending the righteousness that his life gave to you. Are you following me now? So Jesus grew in stature. He evolved in master. gave us more emotional perfection. Yeah, you just have to grow into it. One of the byproducts of the cross is emotional stability. Emotional stability. Is one thing I have been deliberate in my work with God to master. Because I had a master that taught me. Oh, I had a master that taught me. London Bridge is falling down. All hell is breaking loose. The man is there at peace. We're looking at him and we're asking what the disciples asked Jesus. Carest thou not that we perish. Many times, all hell is breaking loose. The man will reply you three words. Be at peace. What kind of person is this? And there's nothing you want him to say after that. He has finished speaking. Tell him be at peace. And then you realize the man is this, this equipment dealers are calling him. You know, the, the Alaba guys at one point, Alaba guys were making more money off his records than his record label. And the man is at peace. Not fretting. When it's time for his afternoon nap, he will shut down nap. It's time to travel, he will travel. Time to come back. Say be at peace. So you say, son, son, they want the most vital thing God left with us in Christ is peace. He said he could have said a lot of things. He gave us a lot of things. He could have singled anyone out, but he singled peace. He said nobody will mess with it. And we had to grow from anger into maturity and learn. So all hell is breaking loose and you're at peace. 
Isn't that what they did with Jesus? Carest thou not that we perish? What are you talking about? And if you go and study that narrative, you'll find that as soon as Jesus rebuked the storm, immediately they were on the other side. So the storm was actually transport. If not for the storm, you'd have probably been rowing and rowing to get to the other side, 13 kilometers. And the storm happens, rejigs everything. Peace, be still. You have reached. That's why I said sons of God are storm riders. So Jesus evolved the master of his emotions. He was tempted in every way. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest. Let's see it in the TPT. Because the double negative. Double negatives equal a positive. Makes sense. We do not have a high priest. Means we have a high priest. Okay. So TPT says he understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way. Just as we are. Now he will not say every way if it's not every way. Not all of it is on record. But he was tempted in every way way and conquered sin. 16. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in time of need. He was tempted in every way. So he felt emotions. He did. One of the emotions Jesus felt was empathy. Who knows what empathy means? Empathy. Empathy is the ability to feel what somebody is going through. To feel what somebody is. Yeah, pretty much. The ability to feel what somebody else is feeling. That's empathy. And that's something that um, on two levels we lack. As sons of God we lack. And even more drastically as Africans. We struggle with. Things since mornings. Ah, you only good. Me, three days. And people just dismiss the threshold of somebody. Because for, for me, for instance, three days without food is nothing. For somebody who munches every three hours, I've not seen since morning, is the death sentence. Does that make sense? They're dying. But you might use your own higher threshold to interpret where they are and lose them. Somebody's gasping for breath. They're like, ah, just this common heat. And people will die. Literally die on you. Because you could not understand that somebody was going through something. That's why in Africa, an accident is going on. And you are bringing out your mobile phone to snap and record. Because you are thinking about your followers on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. More than what is actually going on. Empathy. Strong emotion and is fed by a sense of selflessness. You cannot be empathetic in the absence of selflessness. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Feel what it feels, no matter how little. So you see why almost every time I teach you guys, I tell you, this gospel will not take effect until you stop being in Nigeria. Honestly. Honestly, we have to raise a crop of people from this generation that are willing to let their Nigerian nationality die. You must, you must, you must, especially men, especially men. 
You are the builders of the family unit. You cannot carry the African thing with the gospel. You can't. You can't. You cannot. You cannot talk to people or act a particular way and be forming African. We are all co-heirs of the grace of God. You can't do that. And that's why I'm teaching imitate so you can watch me. Watch how I treat people. How I talk to people. Watch my courtesy. Watch my empathy. Watch my connection. And follow. Nigeria cannot sponsor this grace. Culture cannot sponsor this grace. It has to be by the Spirit of God. We don't have empathy. You can't feel what somebody's feeling. Because we don't have empathy. You're not thinking about the fact that somebody else is going through a legitimate day and should not be disturbed. Jesus went to a place. They didn't receive him. They said they want to call down fire. He said, why do that? Let's continue our journey. Simple. He told them when you go to a place and they don't receive you, dust, it, dust off your feet and go. If anybody receives you, stay in the house of the person that received you until you leave that city. God, ministry is so simple. You don't bully people to receive Christ. They'll end up receiving you and you cannot sustain them. Matthew 15. Empathy, the ability to feel what somebody else feels. Oh, believers struggle with this. Struggle with this. We struggle with this a great deal. Matthew 15. We will go from verse 32. You see two emotions in one verse. I'll come to the second one later. We're dealing with empathy at the moment, right? Then Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, Jesus says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Isn't that beautiful? TPT. Jesus, look at this. Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I care deeply about all these people for they've already been with me for three days without food. I don't want to send them away fasting or else they may be overcome by weakness on their journey home. The message. But Jesus wasn't finished with them. He called his disciples and said, I hurt for these people. For three days now they've been with me and now they have nothing to eat. I can't send them away without a meal. They'd probably collapse on the road. That's my elder brother. That's my elder brother. That's my example. Nobody needed to go and say to him, Rabbi, Rabuni, we are hungry. Eat them. But there's got to be more for their bellies. That's empathy. Birthing compassion. Are you following me now? Empathy. Feeling what they feel. Now spurning a desire to do something about it. That's who saved us, guys. Full of empathy. Full of... See why I showed in Hebrews, Hebrews 5? That he was tempted in every way. We don't have a high priest who is not touched by the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, we have so much. A high priest who is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Whatever we feel, he felt. He felt it. So they've been here three days. I don't need a prophet to tell me that they're hungry. So I dismiss them and I don't care how they get home. 
That's why I, that's one of the ways I taught myself to respect time when I'm ministering, especially when I'm ministering outside. Because one of the ways you see lack of empathy in Nigerian Christianity is a guest minister that has been flown from Calabar to Abuja. A car picked him from the airport, brought him to hotel, took him from hotel in an air-conditioned vehicle to the church pastor's office. Probably the only place where the AC is working. He's there, comes out, enters the church late because he doesn't care about praise worship. Who knows what I'm talking about? Doesn't care about praise worship. As choir is mean, just before choir will minister or the major guest artist, then he will now arrive and sit down so he can also, because part of the choir ministration is to impress the guest along with the music guests who have invited. So he comes in like 10, 15 minutes before he's about to climb the altar. He then climbs the altar and then he keeps you there till 10, 10 10.30 because anointing is moving. See, there are things that the Nigerian church will not like from Pav and it's okay. 10.30, 10.30, quarter to 11, the Lord is moving. The Lord is moving. Because when you, when you finish, the Lord will carry you inside the car. Protocol will escort you. Wee, 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 wee. Back to your hotel. Where three sisters and two brothers have also given up their night to feed only one you dinner. And people are standing by the road. And none of you know how they are going to get home. God didn't call us to do that. I, w- I won't be able to live with myself. And you don't know how people are going to get home. You don't know what they're going to eat. Because you are the guest minister. We have not so learned Christ. See the Christ in the scriptures. I can't send them home hungry. They'll collapse on the road. Let's feed them. That's empathy. He taught them the word. You think he'll be more exhausted than they are. It's empathy that moves us. Because you are dealing with people's lives. Literally. That's the example our elder brother has shown us. So I, can't, I can't send them off. Let's see one more example. John 19. I love this one. Is anybody getting instructed? John 19. 25 through 27. This one really moves my heart. Please um, switch it to the TPT. This is Jesus on the cross. On the cross. Not going to. On the cross. Guys, bleeding out, blood, water, vinegar in his mouth. His lungs collapsed under his diaphragm. His knees, his wrist, and he was on there. And he still felt the pain of his mother Mary losing her precious Jesus son. In that pain, he still felt Mary's pain. Mary, Jesus' mother was standing next to his cross, along with Mary's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So when Jesus looked down and saw the disciple he loved, as John, standing with her, he said, Mother, look, John will be his son to you. I'm dying, I, I know. But I, I, mean, I, I know how you feel at losing a son. Here's John to, to stand in for me. Next verse. Then he said, John, look, she will be a mother to you. From that day on, John accepted Mary into his home as one of his own family. The message, 26. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing near her. He said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Next verse. Then to the disciple, here is 
your mother. From that moment, the disciple accepted her as his own mother. Jesus was dying and bleeding out. Racked in his own pain beyond any form of comprehension. And yet he was moved by the fact that his mother was about to lose his son. Moved enough to say, John, be a son to her. And tells Mary, oh, here's, another, here's another son you can, you can mother in lieu of me. It doesn't get more instructive than that. And if we are honestly going to be sons of God, if we are honestly going to be believers beyond noise, if we are honestly going to be believers beyond noise, we are going to have to allow ourselves catch the Christly emotion of empathy is a trait of sons of God. We're empathetic. We, we, we exhibit empathy. We feel what the other person feels. Genuinely, there is a dark, foul spirit that governs Nigerian culture that is at odds with the light of the gospel. Dark, dirty spirit that governs Nigerian culture that pastors have somehow succeeded in juxtaposing, have succeeded in mingling with the gospel. We have succeeded in camping side by side with what we call Christianity. Absence of empathy. What somebody else is going through doesn't matter to you until it's you that's going through. But that's not the example that has been set before us. That's not the example. Dorcas dies in the book of Acts and they sent for Peter and they're letting him know all the stuff that she had done. All the clothes that she had sewn, all the good things that she had done, and he was moved. And we don't have empathy. We can't feel what somebody else is feeling. Around here, it's looked at as a form of weakness. I'm just talking empathy. Just to feel. Just to feel. Just to feel. Someone look at you and tell you, be a man. What does that mean? Be strong. What does that mean? Until it's your turn. And everyone's running around and speaking in tongues. Everyone's running around and being son of God and being all stuck up. And you can't be moved by what moves another. You can't be moved by what your brother is going through, what your sister is going through. I don't know how we do it. Honestly, I don't. I don't know how we do it. That there's a need and you know that there is a need. And you're not moved enough to respond. To identify what it means when somebody's gasping for breath. What that means. You should, you should be able to feel what it feels to gasp for breath. It's only at that point that compassion wells up on your inside. Empathy informs compassion. Empathy informs compassion. You have to be able to feel what it feels like to be able to be led to do something about it. You can do something about it and not be moved. And not feel. At that point, you will then feel like you did somebody a favor. And if care is not taken, expect something in return. Expect something in return. But when you, when you operate in the godly emotion of empathy, you're able to feel and sense what a person is going through. And then you can stand and support. You can stand and minister to. And selfishness dies a natural death once empathy enters the church. See, this is as practical as it gets, guys. Once empathy enters the church. Nobody will be thinking about just themselves. Nobody. And that's when we actually begin to become the church. That's when we begin to become the church. 
But everybody's feeling the pulse of everybody else. There's a church on God's heart. There's a church on my heart that we desire to see implanted in our day. Practical church, practical. We don't have to have everything in the world to be content and fine. Just with everybody feeling everybody. Everybody supplying to everybody. We're good. We don't have to be the biggest church. We don't have to be the richest church. We just have to be the church. The church. And just cut down your personal appetite for a minute. You know what I'm saying? Cut down your personal desire for a second. And just picture it in the light of how your elder brother would. Our pattern. What he has shown us. What he has shown us. We just feel. You don't need, you don't need anybody to tell you something. You just know. Just know. That's the pattern to imitate. Is that instructive? That's the pattern to imitate. Anybody ready to take on this journey? Just develop empathy. We have to feel, F-E-E-L, each other in the light of Christ. We have to. Church becomes healthier, richer, much more beautiful. You start to appreciate people better. So when I, when I do things like I see somebody so pretty and, I, and, I'm, and somebody else is there, and I will say, oh, um, Joshua, did you tell Wisdom that he looks nice today? It's me teaching you. It's not that I, I've, I've thought that both of you might have already been in a conversation. Most times I know. You're probably just seeing the person. But when I say, ah, Caleb, have you told him she looks pretty? You didn't notice her hair. It's so that it begins to build in you a consciousness to be mindful of your brother. Because you, you don't know how much it takes to paint a face. If we're imitating, we have seen the pattern of Jesus over and over and over and over. Jerus sends somebody and says, my daughter is sick. And Jesus, imagine what it feels like to be sick and says, let's go. Right? And then the issue of blood woman happens. The girl dies. You know how the story ends. Roman centurion sends somebody. His servant is sick. Jesus said, let's go. This time around, centurion goes, na, 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 na. Speak a word. So every time you see Jesus putting himself in what the people we're facing other people we're feeling don't let that john 19 episode out of your head jesus on the cross feeling what mary who was not on the cross was going through jesus on the cross who would have been justified to say look at how much i'm suffering suffering here you are here talking about missing a son what am i going to say what am i going to say am i the only even the only son that you have he will justified he felt what they were feeling I imitate the pattern of the Son of God. I imitate the pattern of the Son of God. I imitate the pattern of the Son of God. It's the only pattern for us to imitate. We can't preach Christ and not leave Christ. L-I-V-E. We can't. We give God praise tonight. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.